Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. We're talking about cooperatives this morning, but particularly we're talking about the shutdown and how it affects cooperatives. And we have on the phone with us this morning, Mr. Cornelius Blanding. Good morning, Cornelius. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today, my friend? I am just great. Doing really well. Got a got a little cold or something. I'm fighting up here in the cold weather. Well, fight on. <laughs> <laughs> fight on. So I'm going to come and visit you down there where I can get warm. Hey, hey, hey some of us are coming this way, too, so I don't you know where you can get it from the side, from the side, to the side. All right. So what we want to talk about this morning is the shutdown, how President Trump's shutdown is affecting farmers, particularly black farmers. So before that, let's talk a little bit about the Federation. What is, for the people you've been on the show before, but tell us what the Federation is and how it functions for those people that may not have heard about you guys. Well, thanks for asking that, Vernon. Well, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund, we're a nonprofit cooperative association of black farmers, landowners, and cooperatives all around the South. And what that basically means is that we are cooperative of cooperatives. And what a cooperative is, Vernon, I'm sure you know and many of your listeners know, is jointly owned and democratically controlled businesses. So you have these businesses that are owned and controlled by the people who are benefiting from them. In this particular case, we're talking about farmers. So farmers with their own cooperatively owned businesses, businesses that they own and control and govern. And what the Federation is is a cooperation or collaboration of all of those cooperatives in the South are working together cooperatively. So we're a cooperative association of black farmers, landowners, and cooperatives. That's what make up the organization. We were founded directly out of the Civil Rights Movement in 1967. Uh, by 22 co-ops who came together to create an organization to support them, to support them during that civil rights movement in those turbulent times, each one facing their own unique challenges in their various communities all over the South. And what we do as an organization, as a staff for the membership, is provide various services around cooperative development in terms of helping them organize co-ops uh, for their benefit, but also helping them maintain and strengthen those cooperatives so that they can continue to survive. We provide what we call land retention services, uh, where we work with those black farmers and landowners and other residents of rural communities in the South to help them maintain their land base. Uh, because there was a big issue historically where black farms were losing their land at an alarming rate, where it was anticipated that by the year 2000, uh, back then, that it would be no black farm if they kept losing land at the rate that they were losing it. So what our objective is to help reverse that trend and make sure there continue to be black farmers and black land ownership in the country. And last but not least, we provide advocacy services where we work with our membership, with black farmers, landowners, and their cooperatives to look at how do we, how do we play a role or partner with the government, whether it be state or federal government, to help impact programs and policies so that they benefit those farmers 
their cooperatives and their communities. So in short, we're a cooperative association of black farmers, landowners, and cooperatives that are providing direct services to the membership to help them stay on the farm. We help them maintain their businesses, their cooperatives, and help them be an instrumental part of their community and their communities uh, thrive. So you don't have much to do. <laughs> to, to say too much at times, right? Okay. With very few resources. Oh, boy. So, all right, very few resources. So if anybody out there want to help and give up, you're a nonprofit, so you can, mm-hmm. you can take tax deductions by yes. helping yeah, you Yeah, no doubt. Uh, definitely. Uh, so we, we, uh, we work in partnership with our government, and so we do a lot of contracting with our government, but we also have a lot of partners and supporters within the private foundation, uh, within the foundations, but also some individuals and individuals like yourself. And thank you for all you've done over the years uh, for this organization and our communities. Uh, but any individual could call in. Our membership, they pay dues as part of the organization. And that's part of it. But that's a very small part. But we always I always need supporters and, and friends who are always working toward the mission of the organization. I support the mission of the organization. And uh, we have a website, www.federation.coop. talks about the organization, and I think there's a button that goes directly to help where you can support. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big button right in the top right hand, I think it is. Or right, maybe so the... you can't miss it. And right now, we are, we've, uh, over the, uh, we, we're, we're going into our 52nd year with 51-year-old organization. And last year, we rolled out a capital campaign, a $5 million capital campaign that looks at a number of things for that, including building an endowment to sustain the organization over the years, helping to renovate and build our training center. As an organization, we own close to 1,300 acres of land where we have a training center where we provide training, education, and technical assistance to our membership and the community down in Epps, Alabama, which is West Alabama, uh, in the Black Belt. We talk about building a loan fund where we can provide resources to farmers, to cooperatives, especially during times like these, in this government shutdown where resources are so scarce because the government is closed down. You talk about different storms. What are some of the, the problems that the farmers have had in the South? You said in the South, but how, how many states do you all represent? So uh, theoretically, we're an organization that's trying to work in 13 southern states. However, our focus is around nine of those states. And focus meaning that's where we have board and our membership. And in about six of those states, we have physical offices and our staff. So our primary focus is around the Deep South, where we have staff and, and offices where we can provide direct and intensive services. That's in Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, uh, Texas. And I think I named it's Florida, so I think I named six. Uh, but again, we impact by nine, nine of those states directly, then we have volunteers, membership, and uh, some board representation in those others. But as you can imagine, our services are more intensive in those areas where we have staff and offices. Okay. So now, what kind of storms uh, have the farmers gone through? And when I get into looking at farming, it seems like you have to be almost crazy to go on a farm. you got so <laughs> many different things can affect you. It's... it's whether you don't get enough water or you get too much water, whether it freezes, whether you get bugs. What are some of the things that the farmers have gone through here in the last, I yeah. don't know, five years or so? Yeah. Well, 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 Vern, I'm glad you said last five years because I was going to go all the way back to 1967 on you. Uh, but, yeah. but, but you're absolutely right. Farming is an extremely difficult business. 
And as you can imagine, you're always, you're always dealing with those things that are out of your control, like the weather and other things, tests and all those things. But what makes it extremely difficult is when you start dealing with those things that are, well, that should be in your control but are not. Um, so the natural disasters are one, things that are out of your control. Over the last, just recently, over the last few months, we've had Hurricane Florence in South Carolina, which was in September of 18, a few months ago. Uh, we had Hurricane Michael in Georgia in October. And so you're talking about one month after the next. And these, these storms, you have tornadoes, you have all kinds of uh, natural disasters that are hidden that are plaguing the South and other areas in this country. Uh, I'm just talking about the South. But farmers in general deal with these on a regular basis. And in the South, no, no, no different. But when you start talking about small farmers, and small farmers have, they don't have the resources of these, as these larger farmers or these corporations. So their pockets are not as deep, and they can't withstand these natural or man-made disasters for a period of time. And that's what, that's what it's all about, whether it's farming or football. It's a, it's a game of attrition. And so the better teams are the ones who have the deeper benches. They can play into the fourth quarter. Our farmers don't have those kind of resources. So when a storm hits, it puts them at a disadvantage. And then you start talking about lack of resources for some of the other storms, like lack of credit, lack of access to markets, lack of access to the kind of assistance that other folks get. Those things add to that, that trouble. And, and the more you compound on that, the deeper they have to go to their bench, a bench that they don't have. And these things drive farmers out of business. And that's the challenge here. I mentioned land retention, the work that we do around land retention. And these are statistics from the, uh, the Census Bureau. Yeah, in 1910, and I've said this before on your show, but it's something that we always have to remember as a community, as a country. In 1910, there were 218,000 black farmers owning 15 million acres of land. Wait, let's say that again. Uh, 218,000 black farmers owning 15 million acres of land. Okay. And, and by 1990, by, by before the turn of the century, by 1992, there were only roughly 18,000 owning about 2.3, less than 3 million acres of land. And so you talk about that decline in land, uh, and it's dramatic. And it matters because if you look at statistics, we we own less than less than 1% of the farming population of black farmers. And a small and owning a small portion of the land, and uh, Ralph Page, my my predecessor, my mentor, one of my mentors, uh, who was the former executive director of the Federation, again my predecessor. The New York Times quoted him, I think, in 1992 from an uh, interview or a conference he was a part of, and he and he was asked a question about, you know, why does it matter so much about black farmers losing the land? And about a black farmer going out of business, and he talked about it that it, it, it matters that a farmer loses his his business and his land. But the bigger picture is, it's not just a farmer going out of business; it's our community losing a piece of this country. It's the farming community losing a piece of this country. It's the black community losing a piece of this country, and that matters on a lot of different levels because the true ownership of this country is based on the ownership of the land. And that's significant. And all these factors that we talk about, whether they're disasters, natural disasters, or man-made disasters like this shutdown, play a huge role in that, and it affects that. And so, so you have 
farmers who are going out of business are potentially going out of business because of this shutdown. Because, again, they don't have the debt. They're not as resilient as a corporation. And they're not even getting the resources that these corporations get. And so it's a compounding effect. Cornelius, uh, you laid out very well the problems uh, of farming, in particular being a black farmer in the U.S. But I, I'm, I'm really, we're going to take our first break, but I'm, I'm sitting here with this 218,000 farmers going down to 18,000 farmers, 15 million acres of land in 1910 going to 19, going to 2.3 million acres in 1992. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOM, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mr. Cornelius Blanding, who is Executive Director of the Federation of Southern Co-ops, and they work with 13 states in the South, have offices in six of those 13 states, and he primarily works with nine of them, working with farmers, mostly black farmers, and figure out how they can keep their land and improve their farming. So you were talking about natural disasters as one of the things. Sometimes there's man-made disasters. And you got into this thing of the shutdown, which I wasn't I, – when I thought about the shutdown, what are we in, 26 days of it now? So how does that affect the farmer? So, Vernon, yeah, this is the longest in history. So we're in uncharted territories here. And, again, it's still early in this process. I hope it doesn't go any further. Because it's one thing in terms of what we notice now, and some people are seeing the delays at airports. Some people are seeing the parks closing. But you have another side of that coin that many people don't see, and that's how your food is being affected, from how it's being expected in terms of the safety of it, but more importantly, how it's being grown and who's growing it. And many times we don't think about that. We don't think about those black farmers, those small farmers, those farmers. And they're cooperative, their businesses, and how they aggregate to send that food and supply that food to us as consumers. But it's a big deal, and it's affecting the farming community overall, but it's particularly hard on small farmers and even harder on black farmers because, again, they don't have the resources or the kind of the scale that these corporations have and these deep pockets. And so right now, you just came over a period of time where the farm bill the Farm Bill is the second largest bill in this country, next only to defense, that deals with everything from credit to conservation to energy to trade. It touches, it's, one, it's the only bill that touches every person in this country's life in one way or the other. And these resources, a lot of these resources are supposed to be targeted toward the farming community, um, but it's the small farms who suffer. But this year, the farm bill was passed not long ago, and we were delighted. Farmers were delighted. The farming community was delighted to kind of see some of the, the wins, if you will, that we've got in the farm bill. It's by no means a perfect deal. It hasn't been, but, it's getting, but, but there's some things that allow folks to farm and to stay on, on their land. But this government shutdown has stopped it. So you now have farmers, small farmers, black farmers in particular, they get their resources, their loans from the government. And as you know, business... People usually borrow money, put it into inventory, put it into 
and the products and things of that nature, make the money back, pay their loans back. That's how business operates in general. And, yet, and farming businesses are no different. A farm is just a small business, a small farm operation. They have to borrow money usually from the government. That's the vendor of last resort, uh, USDA, the Department of Agriculture. And many, many of the farmers around the country, and especially smaller farmers and black farmers, borrow from USDA. This government, the government is shut down, meaning all of these agencies as well. And USDA, USDA is one of them. So farmers haven't been able to get the loans they need to operate their business. They haven't been able to get the disaster payments that when they were affected by her, Hurricane Michael or Florence or, and others, to get those disaster payments to rebuild their operations. They aren't able to get the resources they need. They aren't able to get the conservation dollars to build programs around conservation to protect our air, our water, and our soil. So it's affecting farmers and their operations, but it's also affecting us. And those are some of the effects that we don't see today, but they have a lasting effect. They have, as uh, our state coordinator in uh, George, we just put out a press release uh, a week or so ago, and they talked about this shutdown. Uh, but our state coordinator uh, in Cornelius King in, in Georgia talked about that domino effect. And it's true. There are things that are going to be happening that are going to continue to happen because of this shutdown. Long after the government reopens, there are things that we're not seeing now because of the matter. The fact of the matter here is these loans, they can't be processed in the shutdown. Now, I have to say this, that FSA just opened their office. They put out a press release yesterday. USDA opened the Farm Service Agency, FSA, opened those offices today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, the day after the King holiday. So they'll be open for three days, and then they go back, then they close back if the shutdown is still going on. So you got three days where all the farmers in this country got to make a mad rush to try to get access to some resources, got to get their loans processed and things. And they only have limited services they're doing at limited offices. So we're putting out the word that let farmers know, hey, here are the offices that are going to be open for these three days, and here's the services they're going to be provided. And if that fits, you got to rush in and try to get it. It's, it's creating a stampede. It's going to create a stampede, and, and everybody gonna be, everybody's not going to be able to be served. But when these loans can't be processed and you got these late loans, you then have late planting. You have to, after late planting, you have late harvesting. And those things, along with disaster payments being delayed, they affect the farmer's planning. So he can't plan for his farm operation. And this leads to defaults. It leads to foreclosures. And it could lead to a loss of land that we talked about. Okay, so I had a hurricane come through, and the U.S. government has programs to help me to fix my farm. Because the hurricane has messed up the, I don't know, the tractor got turned over, the, the seed got messed up or scattered or whatever. So I, normally mm-hmm. I can put in a, a, a application for a loan, mm-hmm. and because of the shutdown, they haven't been able to process that loan, which means that the work that needs to be done to fix the farm can't happen because I can't get the money to fix it. That's exactly. the first thing. Okay, so now time is passing. This is already January, middle of January. So I can't process the loan, so they're going to open up the farm service agencies will process some, but mine doesn't get processed for whatever reason. It's in the queue, but it doesn't get processed. Even the ones that get processed, if they're going to only be open three days, then there's no telling when it's going to be finally processed and a check written if this thing exactly. keeps going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and and so now you got two things you mentioned. Got some folks who... Don't even if you get, let's just go with the phone. If you get the loan, 
you're in January now. Loans are normally processed when they're applying a December and January, so they can have those monies. Because the spring comes out, you got to have stuff in the field by a certain time. Farming is, a, is an operation that's cyclical. It's based on cycles. You can't just decide you're going to, okay, well, I'm going to plant soybeans or collard greens or watermelon this month so I can have no. You plant them based on when the, when the cycle and there's time. You don't have them in the field in a certain range. You don't, they don't have produce. Them. You don't do And them. if they produce, the heart, the the year goes way down. And so if you just look at something in terms of, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the black farmer lawsuit that happened uh, back in 1999 that where, you, where the government admitted discrimination against black farmers. Now, I didn't go into that briefly, but I go into it because the basis of it was you had black farmers who were being denied loans and services. Cornelius, before and, you go there, and I want to go there. Can you keep down this process, though? I've, 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 I'm curious to know. <laughs> I'm a farmer. I've had a problem in a hurricane. Uh, just a hurricane, not the normal loan to get to buy stuff, but I've had this problem. I've gone to farm service agents. I've put in an app, a loan app. They accepted it. But how long does it normally, if it was open all the time, how long would it take to process the loan? Well, it, it, it depends, and, and that's that's the point I was going to make even in terms of this lawsuit. It depends on, one, how well the government is staffed at these local offices. The government is – the programs are, are implemented through local offices. And so you have these local offices all around the country in every county, and you have folks who are – you have staff who are working these offices, government employees, and they only have – in. Over the years, these staffs have been cut over and over uh, more and more. And so you have very few people working counties, and they have to service these loans, these disaster loans, equipment loans, or whatever kind of loan. So it depends on that, first of all. But typically, you could probably go in there and have those things done and processed within 30 days uh, when they're operating normally. Okay. Uh, but there is, there is a delay. And, again, that delay is based on the number of staff, how many loans, if you can accept it because there's only so many resources per county or per office, and you have a number of folks putting in for them, and so they do a ranking process, figure out who would get them. They have these local committees of folks in the community who are voting on them based on priorities and things of that nature and criteria. So there's a number of factors that go into this, and that was my point of going in terms of discrimination. I was going not to bring this case back up, even though it should always be brought up, but to say even in the best case, when they're approved and you delay it, and, and, and the fact of the matter was some of these loans were approved, but they were just approved out of the range of when they should have been. And when you have that, when you have a farmer planning again and he's planning, it's not based on the cycle, he's planning late, it either it affects his harvest. He's either going to not produce a crop or it's going to produce a diminished crop. And that crop is the collateral and it's tied to the loan. And when you the loan, if you have a, you have a late crop, and your harvest, your yield is down, you can't pay back all that money because you don't make the money that you anticipated on based on what you borrowed. And now you can't pay it back, and your farm is the collateral, they take that farm. So you've had a number of black farmers, a number of small farmers who have gone out of business, particularly black farmers, who've gone out of business, who've had their land taken. And when I talked about that number, 1910, there were 215 million acres of land and only 2.3 in 92. It's all caught up in that. That's in those numbers, too. And now as we move forward, how many of those acres are going to be caught up in this shutdown? We don't know. That's when we talk about that domino effect. Okay. It's yet to be seen what's going to happen. And these farmers are the basis of cooperatives. They're in cooperative businesses as part of the Federation. And the farmers make up the business. 
You're talking about cooperatives. These are businesses that are made up of individual businesses, individual farm operations, okay. and their cooperatives is affected by those farm operations. So not only would you lose farm Cornelius. and you lose land. I hear yes, your passion, sir. bro, but we got to take another break, and we'll be right back, and then we will get I into get rid it. of these breaks, Vernon. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Co-op is the program. Um, we have Mr. Cornelius Blanding, uh, who is talking about black farm farming and the different things that can affect a farmer to where there's loss of land. So we had a couple hurricanes. The farmer would go apply for a loan to replenish some of the things that have lost. Then just if it wasn't for the hurricane, just a normal course of business, the farmer would be going in like any business person seeking a loan. Most of the times the bank will not loan to farmers. That's why you have U.S. Department of Agriculture. They will provide the loans and take the risk. Farming is a very risky business. So you need the the money to buy the the goods to produce. You need the seed, the fertilizer, the gas. You need to pay employees. You need everything that you need in order to produce something. Now, this is the time, December, January, when you you go after these loans. If there's nobody to process the loans, then the loans don't get processed. If the loans don't get processed, the farmers don't get the money, and then, therefore, they cannot produce the crop in the right time because it's so time sensitive. So if you don't produce the crop in the right time, one or two things will happen. One is you won't produce anything or you would get very low yield on your production. All of that means you don't have anything to sell or very little to sell or the the product is not is inferior, so you get less money. Which means now that the pay for everything you need to pay for, including taxes and insurance and everything you have to pay for in the business, you don't have, plus the loans that you have. So if you don't have these, then what's collateral is the farm. And therefore, those people that have made loans to you then will foreclose and you end up with selling your stuff at auction and moving to the north to try to find a job. Did that kind of summarize that pretty well? <laughs> You got it, Brian. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's very it's extremely frustrating looking at this. Now, okay, so I, I, I get that. And I also get that if I am in a county in one of these states and I'm a farmer and I'm a white farmer and I'm on these committees to help give loans and I my neighbor is a black farmer and he doesn't have maybe the education, he doesn't have the resource that you're talking about, he doesn't have the bench uh, that that you talked about that when he has trouble, and I want his farm. It just makes my farm bigger, and maybe his farm is closer to the water, or he had maybe had better soil. It may be all kinds of reasons I want his farm. And so I will then say, let's hold his loan, or let's not approve his loan, so that everything we just talked about that you just educated me and my listeners about would happen, that he either don't have production or have very limited production or very poor production 
which means he can't make the money, which means he loses his farm. And I can go buy it cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I wanted to pay full price for whatever the value, it's close to the water, so it, the value of it may be more valuable than any, any of the land I have. But I don't want to pay that, so let me get it to foreclose. So you think that's what happens? Yeah, it, it, that, that's, that's, and it's been proven historically. There's documented cases of, of many things, and that's one of them. So you have a very complicated system. Uh, or a simple system, whatever, however you want to call it, but it's skewed, and it's sometimes, and it's just, it, I, I, I live in the South, and so there's a, there's, historically, there's been a lot of challenges all over the South. And when you think of those challenges, those challenges don't just, they weren't just isolated to people trying to keep black folks out of schools. They weren't just isolated to people trying to keep black, black people off jobs. They were isolated for land more than anything else. Because the South, if nothing else, always valued land. In order to vote, you had to be a landowner. In order to have any clout in your community, you had to be a landowner. So those were the number one targets of folks in here. So it's so when we start talking about the history of discrimination and, and inequities, the land is, to, is tied to it more than anything else, and it has the biggest impact, and especially in the South. And again, those numbers far out tell you the story. How they lost land? Well, it was estimated that a thousand acres a day was being lost, and those were various reasons. It wasn't just because the farmer didn't know how to farm. You're talking about people who built the country on agriculture. It was a, it was a farm economy, agricultural economy in the South. And there were slaves, sharecroppers, et cetera, who were who were the forefront of that system. So there's farming in the history. It wasn't just poor farming. It was a lot of a number of factors. And so when you start throwing in these other things on top of that. And the historical ramifications of it, it's huge. And that's why we say this government shutdown is another disaster. And again, it's something that we won't know the effects. We know what's going on today, but there are things that we can't even anticipate that will be happening a month from now, a year from now, a year from now. And these things have to stop. This country is based on the common good, whether we all want to see that or not. That's what Social Security is. That's what our tax system is. And that's why USDA was created, the People's Department. It was about making sure that there was safe, quality, and affordable food always in this country. And that's on the back of farmers, and especially black farmers. But when we don't reciprocate that, when we pay too low of a price, or when they don't get the services they need that every business needs, it ain't just you provide this for a farmer. Every business needs capital to operate. But we just start talking about a business that produces the food, the sustenance of anybody in this country, of everybody. That's different. That's, that's a public service. I've always, farming is a public service and it should be treated as such, but it's not. And these things that happen, especially some of these political decisions, they affect not only farmers, they affect the public service. They affect the public. They affect every one of us. And when we understand that, when we realize that, we would then hold our policymakers to a different standard. And it's not that all of them or most of them are, are purposely trying to do things. Many of them just don't know. They don't understand farming in terms of how the, the importance or the value it is, not only to an individual, not only to the families, but to this country and this world. Because it's the food. It's the water, it's the air, it's the soil, it's the very essence of all of us. And when we realize that, we'll fight for it differently. But instead, we're fighting it. 
Well, you got me almost speechless because I've never thought of farming that way. And the little farming we did in West Virginia was about an acre of land. My father and my two brothers, the four of us out there. Uh, and it was if you didn't, in particular in West Virginia, if you didn't, if you did not get that seed in the ground at the right time, you were not going to get harvest. And there was no other second season until the next year. That was it. You only had one season to 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 get it up. And but right my favorite part of farming was harvesting. Well, that really wasn't my favorite part. My favorite reason I say harvest because that got it to the table. My favorite part was eating. Okay. <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> eating what you harvest. Okay, that, that was my favorite part. But it, it seemed like, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in, I'm, it's 1930-ish or whatever, and I, my family had been farming forever. We, that's all we know. My family, we've been farming, and somehow we have 10 acres of, 40 acres of land, and we got a meal or two. And, and and, and we know farming. There's no question. We know when to farm. We know when to water it. When to weed. Weed. We we know all about farming now. But we still lose our land, and we lose our land because where they were they would give loans to white folks. They wouldn't give loans to me. They would give education to white folks. They wouldn't give it to me. They would do all of these things for white people and. The reason they wouldn't do it for me was somebody in that county wanted my land or somebody in that county just didn't want me to have the land. They didn't want my color to have the land for all of the reasons you talked about with discrimination. And I end up losing my farm. And I got I, then we moved to Chicago, New York. We moved somewhere. And now I'm trying to get a job in a plant. And how that family mm-hmm. must feel. And how the, the I've, I've now left the community where my cousins were living next door. Da, 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 da. So that whole community, there's a hole in that community I left. Now I'm in a new community trying to learn a whole mm-hmm. new thing. That just that seemed like that would be an awful. It's, it's a terrible thing, and Vernon summed it up perfectly. And until we start realizing that, when you start to when if something happens with the Hilton family, the Hilton Hotel, that's a family business. And when something happens, that change broken, and they lose that family business. Oh, that's a terrible thing. That could lead to suicide and all kinds of things. But it's the same thing in the farming community. A farm is a family business. And if we look at it like this, so you've had families who lost the family business. And like you said, who lost the family place in that community, who lost community. I can show you a number of towns and rural areas in, 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 in everywhere. But in the South, you go to a number of places and you say, oh, I remember when we would go to this town, they had this. And you walk through that town and it's a hellhole, as the president calls it. <laughs> but and when I say that, I'm talking about you don't now have the business. You don't now have the anchors of the community anymore. And those anchors were farms. They were supply farming supply stores. They were the restaurants that got the food from the farms. They were all kinds of, they were, it, it was so many other businesses that spun off from the farm because the anchor was agriculture. The anchor in the communities in the South are still agriculture mostly. Yeah, there's a few metropolitan cities like Atlanta and Georgia, like Birmingham and Alabama, like Jackson and Mississippi. But when you move outside of those areas, these are farming communities in the South. And the anchor of those are agriculture. And when you lose a farm, when you lose a bag farmer, we lose a piece of those communities. We lose a piece of this region. We lose a piece of this country. And it affects the whole country, 
the whole world because at the end of the day, many times these are developers who are grabbing this land and it moves out of agriculture. And now you wonder why we don't have the thing, oh, we remember when you were young, when you just ate a fig off the tree or when you went out there and just picked blackberries or you plums or whatever. We don't have those things anymore. In the South, we walk around, you don't see it, it doesn't look the same. And you can't find these products. You don't have these small farms anymore. You don't have these kind of small businesses no more. It's an effect because now everything is imported in, jobs, businesses, all. And they're at the whim of somebody else. We're not controlling our destiny anymore. And all that's a result of losing farms. Question, sir. All right. So you said sometimes it may not have been purposefully of, of what people were doing. Maybe they didn't know. My question is, see, I think Donald Trump is a very, very smart man. I think he's highly intelligent. He's just wicked. <laughs> okay, he just, he, he lies. He, I think he's very, and I'm wondering if this is all purposefully, if he, this is by design. He know what he was doing. Because I get, even with taking kids away from their families at the border, I said when that happened, who's making the money? Okay, to me, that's the underground piece of this uh, with, with him. <laughs> Who, who's making the money? There you go, Vernon. And so for me, because, you know, sometimes I, I don't have the time to try to figure out what, what people's intentions are and all that. I can only worry about, about me. I can only worry about this organization that I'm responsible for, for serving. I can only worry about the people who I have to work with and work through to serve this organization to get them and work toward our mission. But you, the fundamental thing you said it's about money. And what we become as a nation is about money. And it's not about the people. And, and, and that was back when you, when, when, when I learned from many of my mentors, I, when I started my journey at the Federation, and, and, and I started learning about organizing. And there's two different factions. You have organized people or organized money. And right. they're always their competition at each other. Let me let me stop you right there. When we come back, we're going to talk about organization with people and money, and we're going to take our final break. <laughs> I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but got to pay the bill, so we'll be right back. Please don't touch the dial, yeah. DC's News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, at 95.9 FM. Welcome back. Matter of fact, that was a, a great ad. Cornelius fight global warming. Okay. Which I had nothing to do with in planning that, but it sort of like fits right in with this farming thing with all of these hurricanes and stuff that we see. But what we were talking about, you said that you learn how to organize and you're either organizing people or money. So tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. So 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 there's a constant struggle in this in this nation, in this world, and it's organized people versus organized money. But in order to succeed, you have to be organized. There's organizations that, that are created and many of them are based on dollars based on money and the only way it is proven that organized people time and time again organized people have been able to outlast outmaneuver organized money but you have to be organized and that's where 
co-ops, the point of this show. So we've been talking about black farmers and we've been talking about the shutdown and these disasters. But at the end of the day, it all still leads back to being organized in order to really achieve something. And that's the value of the Federation as one example. That's the value of those local cooperatives in their communities, people being organized. And they're organized for the benefit of themselves to sustain their lives and their communities. Because money doesn't care about people. Money doesn't care about communities. Money cares about money. Money, the whole goal of money is to increase. The, uh, my money makes money while I'm speaking. Money increasing. And, and there's no concern for the other things like the people, like the planet. There's no concern there. But when you get people organized through organizations like cooperatives, that's the value. And this shutdown, these disasters, these natural or man-made disasters, they affect people. They also affect the ability for them to organize. They affect their cooperatives, and they affect their communities, which in essence comes back to affecting this country because it is it's circular, and we don't think about it that way until they until it comes home, and it, and eventually it comes home, and it comes in different forms, whether it be climate change or these these severe hurricanes or tornadoes, or whether it be these economic storms, uh, political storms. It comes back, but organizing this that tool, cooperatives, and again, to the point of your show. So even though we've been focusing on these farmers and these disasters and this shutdown, at the end of the day, the value is in these cooperatives. Right now, there are cooperatives who are stepping up to respond to this. Uh, I read the article where some of the cooperatives uh, in Virginia and other places are doing these food drives and, and potluck dinners for government employees. But even far removed from that, you have cooperatives who are being safe havens for farmers and rural communities in the South and being there. So when if a neighbor can't farm right now, how do they survive that? How do they survive disasters? These organizations, these organized people are important. They're important to fight this fight, but they're also important to make that bench deep, to add depth so a farmer could hold over just a little bit longer. Um, it's the reason that the Federation of Southern Cooperatives has been around almost 52 years now. So I truly believe, Bernie, that the basis of this is around people, and people get organized and organized for a common reason. And it's the basis of this country. That was back to duty. That's the power of this country. And so I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that this is a fight between the Federation and USDA. The USDA is one of our biggest partners. But we have to live up to our end of this partnership with USDA. The federal government has to live up to its end of the partnership because we all bear responsibility to make sure that small farmers, to make sure black farmers, to make sure cooperatives, and make sure communities thrive. And we do that great through various programs. We work with the National Resource Conservation Service as one to make sure farmers understand the role they play in conservation, the role they play in protecting the country's air, water, and soil on their farm, in their community. That's all part of a system in this nation. So there are programs that exist to make that happen, and we are partnered with USDA or NRCS, the National Resource Conservation Service, to do that. We're partners with other agencies like FSA to make sure that farmers have mediation services so when these disputes happen, even within their own agencies, that they are allotted mediation so that we can work through this so that the farmer doesn't lose his land. We're in partner with these agencies. We're in partner with the National Ag Statistics Service to count black farms to make sure they understand why they need to be counted and how we direct services to them or from them or whatever. We're in, the part, in partnership with rural development to make sure that we're building sustainable rural communities through businesses, through farms, and et cetera. But during this shutdown, 
provide those services to those farmers to our membership, and they're suffering because of that. But also as an organization, we get halted in terms of how we, the responsibility we have to our, not only our membership, but to our staff, to our business. And that government is, that shutdown affects all of this. And so when we say, hey, Congress has to get back to work. They have to get back to work with the president. The president has to get to work with the Congress and figure out how to move past this selfishness. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. And sometimes it's just in terms of who gets the dollar. Because what this government is responsible for is the distribution or the redistribution of dollars. There has to be a better plan to make sure that it's distributed in the right way down to small farmers, down to local communities, as opposed to corporations, because that's what's happening. And I don't care about a wall. I care about, I care about what's going on in these communities. I care about what's going on with black farmers. I care about what's going on with their cooperatives and their communities. But I care about that because I know that plays a role in the effectiveness or the greatness of this country in terms of protecting our air, our water, and our soil. And that's what it is at the end of the day. And we all have to work together. We all bear responsibility. But first, we have to understand it. And when we understand it, we, no matter what side of the aisle we're fighting from, when we all start understanding the same thing and we're fighting for the same thing just in different ways, it works out in other ways than this government shutdown. Well... You always say a mouthful, and I, I like, bro, I like where you're coming from. Cornelius, when you mention a wall, what I read says a wall will not stop people from coming from the South. Matter of fact, the number of people coming through those border towns is down. Most of the drugs do not come through that way. It comes by air or by boat, so it won't stop that. So the the whole wall won't, and $5.7 billion won't do it. It's more 20 or $30 billion, and if he were get Five point seven billion or twenty or thirty billion is going to take it from somebody else. He's going to take it from these programs, perhaps that you're talking about, or whether it's welfare mm-hmm. or Section Eight, or you got to take it from somewhere to build a wall that won't do anything. So I think it's we well, selfish or crazy, uh, and so I'm thinking there's got to be some other reason why this this man is doing this. But are your thirteen farmers uh, talking to their Congress people and senators about working and getting the shutdown stopped? So, so Vern, one of the things that I talked about earlier in the show when we talked about what we did as an organization, what we do together collectively, uh, again, there are many farmers, there are many cooperatives, and they have their own businesses and their own way of doing things. But at the end of the day, what we do collectively is what the Federation is, and that's cooperative development, land retention, and advocacy, to your point. Advocacy, they're advocating for effective programs and policies that benefit those farmers, their cooperatives, their communities. And so, yes, we're always looking at how do we impact Congress or what's going on in Congress on the state or federal level in terms of making sure that these programs and these policies benefit us. Do that through education. And so we've worked, uh, we worked diligently on the farm bill in the, during that process. And because of that, there were a lot of things that came out of that. One in particular was around there's something called the Fair Access for Farmers and Ranchers Act, where there's property where farmers, another reason why black farmers lose land, uh, a large reason, probably one of the bigger ones, because land, is, they're not, they don't have a wheel on the state plan, and they're just passing it down to multiple heirs, and that generation going, they lose it. But we work with some of our partners, with many of our partners, to help educate Congress. And we had, on the Republican and the Democratic side, on the Senate and the House side, we had a senator out of Alabama. We've had a senator, Republican senator out of South Carolina, Democratic one out of Alabama, 
You had Democratic House leaders like Congresswoman Marsha Fudge in Ohio. You had folks working to pass this because they understood it after we and many of our partners helped to educate them about what was going on and the effects it could have. So we've been doing this through the farm bill, and now just a week ago, we put out a press release about how the government shutdown is affecting our communities, our organizations, our farmers, the Federation. And so we hope they're hearing that, they're seeing that. This show is one vehicle to, to put it out there again, so we hope somebody hears it. So, yes, to answer your question, we are, and we're always looking at better ways to mobilize our membership so they're not just hearing it from the staff of the Federation or from me as executive director, but also from those farmers directly. You had, you had coach from Cornelius Key in our press release, who's also what? a farmer down in South Georgia. Cornelius, being in Mississippi. Cornelius we only have a minute left. So yes, we should expand this show to two hours. <laughs> With you, it's three, baby, three. You got a lot to say, a lot of good stuff. What do you want to leave our audience with? I know you love I, your I, work, so I, I don't have to ask you that. <laughs> so what do you want to leave? So, so, so I, I just leave it. Well, first of all, Brian, I would say thank you for bringing me on, uh, for having me on the show to talk about this issue. But I do, I, and, and I thank your listeners for always being a part of this show and for listening to it. But when you listen, take something away and do something, whatever it is. And right now, this government shutdown is happening because of politics, and we need to be engaged in politics, but we need to be engaged from a level of understanding of how it affects all of us, and especially the farming community, the black farming community particularly, because it matters about how everybody plays a role in this country, in the safety of the water, the air, the soil, and from every level, every farmer, every community, even as consumers. And we understand that. I think we have played a role of connecting with each other, of getting organized. So now we're talking about organized people versus organized money. We truly start making a dent. We got more stop about the Federation. Go to federation.org. Where you can get to the capital campaign to build on to this work. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, 95.9 FM.